Yesterday I was on a Zoom call, and while on that call, they started talking to us a little bit about a new pastoral couple from our district that pastor in Philadelphia, the Solidays. Wonderful couple, high energy. They're pastoring in the Fishtown area, and there's a, really you could call it a post-Christian or pre-Christian culture there. Not a lot of God awareness in the sense of really knowing who Christ is and all about the faith. So the, uh, the gentleman, a young man just graduating out of Asbury Seminary, applied to work at a bank. And so he went there knowing nothing about banking, but they liked him. So they hired him and said, you sit at the front desk and welcome everyone. He said, okay. So he sits at the front desk and he welcomes everyone. And he said, I'm really here to build a church. I'm not here to build a bank. I'm here to build a church. And so they said, well, you can talk about your faith if you want to. He said, okay, thank you. So he starts talking about his faith. And eventually they see that this guy is really good. He takes a couple classes. He does really well in what he's doing. And before very long, he's promoted into an office and they're starting to bring him into the entry level of banking. They said, you can still talk about your faith. So sometimes he will pray with people in his, in his particular office and uh, just go ahead and talk about their finances and pray about their finances. Pretty powerful opportunity. I say all that to say that they were sitting with some of the team from the bank around the table. And while they're sitting around the table, there's a fellow that was squirming quite a bit that was sitting next to him. And uh, Jason is his first name. Pam, do you remember? Um, Soliday. Sean. Sean's sitting here, and this guy's sitting over here, and he says, well, my back is really hurting me so badly, I can hardly focus. And he said, do you mind if I pray for your back that you would be healed right now? He said, no, do it. Please do it. He prayed over him, and the man was instantly healed. Pretty cool. Pretty amazing. Next day, he came back and he said <clears throat> to Sean, he said, hey, my, my mother has got blood numbers all over everywhere. She lives in another town, but she's got to go see the doctor. Would you, would you pray for her if I get her on the phone? He said, yeah, I'll do, be glad to. Got her on the phone. He prayed for her. Next day, she goes to the doctor. All the numbers were in order, exactly where they're supposed to be. I give you this background because the story I'm getting ready to preach from sounds so bizarre that it couldn't have happened. It sounds like a fairy tale. But I choose to believe that it's not a fairy tale. I choose to believe that this is absolutely a, a biblical account of a great miracle of God. When he wants to get through to a lot of people who don't know him, very often he has signs and wonders that accompany whatever it is he's trying to communicate to the hearts and lives of the people around him. He wants to communicate deeply to the people because he cares deeply about all people. But I will tell you this. I don't want you to discount the idea that God couldn't do something in your life today because I believe that though God did something great back here, God can also do stuff right now in our life because I think he cares about what's going on in your life right now and in my life. And I have seen him do great works among our church and in my own life, and I know that he can do some wonderful things. So if you have your Bible open to the passage that Pastor Scott read from, we will, we will teach from that passage several truths today 
that could possibly help you or encourage you along the way. There's a very egocentric king, Nebuchadnezzar. I heard one guy pronounce it, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> it's a big name, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar, maybe a new name to you. Maybe you've never heard this story before in your life. He is king, and he builds this very large statue. It is going to be gold overlaid, gold-plated. It's going to be 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. And it says there in verse 1, all of that, he sets it up on the plain, and setting it up out on the desert on the plain area, you can see it forever, wherever you are in the encampment of his people. And then he called together the government people in verses 2 and 3. He says, I want all the band to come together and play. We're going to have a great ceremony. In verses 4 and 5, he then tells the herald, you go tell everybody we're going to gather together and every, everybody is supposed to bow down and worship this image, which was really the size of his ego, you know, more than likely. And so he says, this is going to happen. Now, <clears throat> there is a question that you would ask is, where is Daniel when this is happening because it's called the book of Daniel? Well, there's about a 20 or so year gap that happens in here, and it is believed that Daniel was somewhere probably out of the country during this time. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the country at this time. And so here we see Nebuchadnezzar making this great decree. And everybody bows down, the men touch their foreheads to the ground, which is custom of bowing. They bow all the way down to the ground, <clears throat> and they touch their forehead on the ground, bowing to this image in response to what the king has said. Except these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't do it. They said, we're not going to do it. Now, school has just started, and I know that some of you are in unusual settings in school, and as you go into your school setting, <clears throat> sometimes you're asked to, to listen to things or to put up with things or to believe things that are very counter to the faith in which you live. They're counter to what you believe when you get at home. They're counter to what you hear if you go to youth group or young adult group. And you go there and you have to try to stand for your faith, and the reality is you kind of feel like you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're there in that setting and you don't feel good about it. You feel weird. You feel outed. You feel isolated. You feel one among the crowd. And it's not fun. Those moments are not fun. But I'm convinced it's not just young people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were young people. But I think it's also other people. I had, a, had a, an adult young man, <clears throat> married, family, and everything. He asked me to pray for him. I said, sure, what, what's the nature of the request? You want to share anything? And so he did. And he shared with me how he... Uh, was being asked to do some things at work that were absolutely against every principle and every core value that he believed the Bible taught and that he believed in. And he was absolutely frustrated. And he said, what am I going to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? And so we talked about it and we prayed about it. In the church I pastored before moving here, I sat one day in my office and there was a man of another church, but we had a Christian school. He was on the board. He was a good board member that had a wonderful family. His wife was secretary of the school. And so he was sitting there, and he wanted to talk to me a little while. I said, sure, what's up? What's on your mind? He needed to unload. He said, I'm the union leader at such and such an auto industry. And he says, I am being pressured so much by my superiors to do certain things certain ways. And he says, they go against every bit of my conscience. Can you pray for me? 
that I'll have the guts and that I'll have the situation that I need to be able to do what I need to do. So I know when I'm preaching a message like this, I'm talking to a crowd of people who are living a life that is different than the way the world around us is living. I get it. As a matter of fact, this morning while I was preparing, I was listening to another guy preach a message. I listened to other messages, and I was listening to this other guy preach, and he talked about in that message, he talked about what the Bible talks about when it talks about there being two ways. There's a broad way that seems right. So many people are on that broad way, and it seems like, well, this would be the way to go. It looks like everybody that wouldn't be on the Broadway is, is moronic. Everybody not on the Broadway is crazy. <laughs> you guys don't know what you're doing over there. What's wrong with those people over there? But it says in the scripture, the Lord says himself, the end of that way is death. It looks good at the outset, but the end of that way is death. And then there's this other way. It's going to be narrow. And boy, when you go on the narrow road, it's not always fun. Everybody doesn't pat you on the back. You don't always get affirmed. You don't always get chosen first. <laughs> you don't always have your way when, but sometimes you're the one who is standing out looking kind of like you're out of step and out of touch. That is because you're taking a way that is different than the majority of the people that are around you. These guys were doing that. And so I think their values that they teach us today, I'm going to highlight just three, the values that they highlight for us and teach us you can use when you go to junior high or high school or grade school. You can use when you go to college, those of you watching us from your dorm right now. You can also use these in the military, those of you that are watching, they're in the military. And you can use these wherever you, ladies and gentlemen, will go to work from whatever campus you're watching from right now and from whatever place you're watching in whatever state you may be watching us online today. The first thing I want to look at and the first value they had was they valued a bold faith. They valued a bold faith. Jesus Christ himself has no place to lay his head. He doesn't have a lot of wealth on the earth. He created it, but he chose not to bank a lot. Yet, he had a commitment to his faith and to his mission that would go beyond anything anyone else would say or do to him. It was a bold faith. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to this idol, this image. And when they didn't, they were called out. They were called out. They were called out by the people that were the astrologers in verse 8. And they said, look at these people. They're not bowing down to the king. And so they wanted to make sure the king noticed among all the people that they were not bowing down. Verse 13 says the king was enraged. He is frying hot mad. Have you ever been frying hot mad? He was. He was so angry. He was livid. Because it challenged his creativity. It challenged his authority. It challenged his excitement and enthusiasm. So he calls them together and in verse 14 and 15. Do you know what he says? He says, guys, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another chance. You can bow if you just bow to me. You can go ahead and do the bowing and I will give you another chance. They said you didn't bow. This time I'm watching. Go ahead, guys, and bow. And then he said this. Look at verse 15. What God is able to rescue you from my hand. He not only took these guys on, he took their God on. Mistake. Ding, 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 we have a loser. God will not always do for us exactly what he did for them. There will be people who will be martyrs. Think Stephen. Think Jesus. Kill for the faith. 
Think Peter, think Paul. You get the picture. But God will sometimes use us as a testimony and as an example, and He may use you as a testimony and as an example in the very places where you are and the places that you serve. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stayed committed to their bold faith. They said, you know what? That may be inviting. That may seem kind of right. And some of you sitting here now may have tasted and tested of something, and you may see it's wrong way, wrong path. I don't know your story, but you do. God allows you turns. God allows you to just take the off-ramp and circle back and like your little phone will tell you when you're trying to get somewhere, said you need to make a U-turn. Turn around. And some of the phones should just say, you are a dumb nut. But they don't. They're respectful for the most part. We do not defend ourselves, verse 16 said, before you in this matter. In other words, we're not going to stand here and argue with you. There is no argument to have. Verse 17, if you throw us into the blazing fire, our God can save us. We don't know how he'll do this. We don't know if he'll do it this way, but he can save us. He'll either save us in the fire or he'll save us after we're burned up from the fire. He will be with us. Either way, verse 18 of your Bible says, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold that you have set up. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a very, very bold faith. Queen Elizabeth probably made some choices that she would have made different if she had a chance to do it. I don't know her story completely, but she passed this week. You know that. She said this just in the last week of her life. Throughout my life, the message and teaching of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. It's in the message of Jesus Christ, a bold faith. And then there is a tested faith, verses 19 through 23, look at it. The penalty for not bowing is quite clear. Their death seems quite certain. Some of you may get passed over for promotion. Some of you may get fired and dismissed from your job. Some of you will get laughed at. Some of you will be the butt of a joke. I remember when I worked at Westinghouse and I was welding for a while and, and uh, I remember some of the jokes were very crude. Some of them very funny, but very crude. And um, I wouldn't participate in that and they, they began to pick up that something was a little different about me and so I remember the fellow Mark uh, Thurman. I still remember his name. He, <laughs> he came to me finally when he learned I was headed off to ministry training and, and he said, he said, you know something? He said, if you ever preach in my area, I want you to call me and get a hold of me because I want to come and hear you preach. He was the most coarse one on the whole crew. But he was the only one that came to me and said, I would like to uh, come and hear you preach down the line. You don't know what God's doing behind the scenes, and you don't know what grandma is praying for that person behind the scenes. Can I get a witness somewhere now? You just don't know. You may get criticized for your faith in Jesus Christ. I encourage you, don't blame on Jesus something that he didn't ask us to do. And don't make a fool out of yourself if he isn't calling you to something to do. But wherever he's calling you, go ahead and do it. Now, it's something how the king's rage was played out. Because verse 19 of our passage says that 
He said, I don't want the furnace just to be on fire. If fire's not good enough, he said, I want to absolutely fry these guys. I want to absolutely burn them. He said, I want you to heat that thing up seven times hotter. Don't just heat it up. I want it seven times hotter, seven times the fuel. I want this thing to burn and rage so bad that they'll know full well you don't do that. And everybody watching, you're going to know full well you don't mess with me. What I say? You know, he was giving that kind of order. So in verse 20, he gets his strongest guys. They bind up these, guys, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they take them over to the fire. And due to the heat of the fire, the guys that were the strong men that threw them men actually were killed because of the heat of this thing. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now in the fire. They're in the flame. The song says, how firm a foundation, the flames shall not burn thee, I only desire thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. In 2006, Callie Scaife, missionary to Athens, we can't show a picture, she doesn't have one available, but she tells a story about an Iranian immigrant who had been fleeing from his homeland where there had been murder and terror and all kinds of derision and had come into uh, Athens. And in 2003, three years before she was telling about this, he had had questions about the faith of Jesus Christ. And he began reading the Bible. Now, he was staying with extended family, so he knew they would not allow him, as they were of a different faith, a Muslim faith, he knew they would not allow him to participate in reading the scriptures. So he would wait till everybody was in bed. He had a little flashlight, a little bed, a Bible, and he would read it. And finally, after two years or so of reading this, he felt like, I need to give myself to Christ. And so he opened his life to Christ. And he went to the to the place where other people in the Iranian uh, background had come to Christ. And he told them, I have accepted Christ and I want to be baptized. So the date was set for his baptism. Some of his cousins found out that he planned on being baptized, that he was announcing that he is a Christian. And on the morning they knew he was going to be baptized. He had set his alarm for very early. He wanted to be able to get up. He wanted to be able to pray. He wanted to be able to read his Bible. So he had a game face on when he got baptized. Instead of the alarm waking him up, scalding hot water was thrown by his cousin onto his lap and onto his arm. He burned his arm, burned his thighs. What would you have done? A tested faith. He got up that day, though he had been badly burned. And though you could see the effects of the burn... And he still made his way to where the baptism was taking place. In his words, not mine, he said, no matter what they do to me, I will love Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, our faith may get tested. And in the days ahead, who knows how it will be tested. But your faith will be tested. My faith will be tested. And we want to be strong in the Lord and committed to the foundations and the fundamentals of the faith. We want to know our Bible enough that we can stand on the Word of God. Come hell or high water, whatever happens to us, we want to be able to do it. And then I want to look at a rewarded faith. Now let me say this. Stephen, in the Bible, he was the first person who was killed for the cause of Jesus Christ, for the sake of Christ. He is called a first martyr. When he died, the Scripture tells us that the heavens opened up, and Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, 
Jesus was sitting here, and the Bible tells us he actually stood up in a standing ovation, in honor, in, in a moment of incredible gratitude. It was a holy moment whenever Stephen lost his life for the sake of Jesus Christ. It was a holy moment. Now, I don't know how God will work in your behalf, but if something would happen in the future and in your life and wherever you travel in the world, and for any reason your faith is challenged in that setting, I want to tell you that even if they do something to the body, as Martin Luther wrote in A Mighty Fortress, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, and he will win the battle. God's going to win. In the end, he's going to win. I encourage you to stay on the narrow road. Don't go to the wide path. Do not allow yourself to get sucked in to that which just seems right, but in the end, leave to death. <laughs> allow yourself to take the narrow road. It's worth it. In the end, the pleasures that we think we have missed out on, we're going to have so much more abundant pleasure one day whenever we see God. This life is temporary. I've had too many funerals to think otherwise. I've never met a person who said they've lived five or 600 years. Nobody has done that. You and I have an expiration date, and one day we will see Christ. But God might also keep you in the midst of whatever it is. You may be in a marriage. You may be in a, a raising some kids and the difficulty. Maybe your parents don't believe in the faith. Maybe it's a tough challenge. I don't know what your story is. Maybe it's at work or maybe it's at school like I've described earlier. Wherever you are, I want to tell you that God loves you and he works with you and he will help you. And that's why I'm talking about a rewarded faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe God could take care of them no matter what. Whatever he allows to happen, we're going to trust in him. That's faith, man. That is faith. Peanuts in their little comic strip one of their things said, worrying won't stop the bad stuff from happening. It just stops you from enjoying the good. <laughs> There's a lot of good that's going on around us. We need to not always focus on all the bad stuff. Sometimes turn off your stinking news TV and quit looking online at some of this stuff and get out and do something to make a difference in the world. Make a difference for Jesus Christ in some way and be the good, be the good. Whenever you don't always see the good. Look at verse 24 of our passage. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors. He said, weren't there three men tied up and bound and thrown in the fire? And they replied, why, yes, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four walking in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. What in the world is going on here? Am I seeing things? Guys, is it what I think? I'm seeing stuff. And... Nebuchadnezzar calls the guys out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire. The only thing burned, the scripture would say in verse 27, is that the ropes they were bound with, all Nebuchadnezzar's stuff burned. <laughs> Whatever he had put on them burned. Whatever they had on them did not burn. You catching that? Your, your idol burned. God's people didn't burn. Pretty powerful story right there. He says, whoa. He makes a decree in verse 9. We're going to worship their God instead of that big image that we built out there. Fully on that. Woohoo! Let's go with theirs. And that's what they did. So I give you an admonition today, a word of encouragement, I hope. That would be this. Be true to God. Yes. Be true to Him. Pray, study the Scriptures, and leave the results to God. Yes. In Malachi chapter 3, 
verse 3. It talks of God, and it says of your God, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Think of that. He'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. That just kind of indicates that he's going to look at our lives and he's going to allow us to be tested. Did you get that? James says over in the New Testament, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of challenges. <laughs> they will happen. So Pam sent me a, a note this week that had been passed around among district administrators, and the note was that uh, some ladies had a Bible study, and they landed on that verse, and that verse says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And they were kind of mystified by that and said, what do you think that might mean? So one of the ladies said, uh, I, will, I will find out more about that, and I'll report back to you. And so she did. She went and found a silversmith, not telling the silversmith why she was there, except I just want to watch what you do and ask you a few questions. And so the silversmith was glad to have her there, and, and he began to melt some of the silver, and, and she started talking a little bit about it, and he was holding it over the fire, and she said, do you have to stand here and hold that over the fire? And he said, yes. He said, if you leave it in the fire too long, it'll ruin it. If you leave it in the fire just enough, it'll refine it. It'll get rid of the impurities, and it will begin to refine the silver. She said, you always have to keep your eye on it? Oh, yes. I always keep my eye on it. Then she said this. How do you know when it is finished and it is right? He said this. Are you ready? If you are, say yes. If you're ready over there in Lee Heighton, say yes. Palmerton, online, if you're ready, say yes. Everybody's ready. Everybody said yes. He said, when I see my reflection in it, I know it's done. He wants his reflection in you. And you, and you, and you, and me. And when he sees his reflection in us, he knows we've been in the fire long enough. And he pulls us out. Now, Lord Jesus, you know how you might choose to use a message like this today, this message you have given to me to give to these wonderful people. So today, Lord, I pray that you would be pleased to use it unhindered, that no weapon formed against any of us would prosper, that your light and your love would shine greater than our dimness and our lack of understanding, that your holiness would show up in our lives that we might see the holiness that is available to us, that your forgiveness and your grace, your mercy, your love would be available and so accessible to us today. We love you, Jesus, because you loved us first. Nobody else has done so much for us but you. You gave your life. Nobody's done that for us. So, Lord, we give everything to you. Consume the dross, consume that 
which is impure and make us what we ought to be. In Christ's name we pray. Reflect in us. Amen. Amen.